Hey everyone, I'm Roy Townsend, and I'm the Grove Pastor here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do this is to text River Connect one word to 97,000, or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text an amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Welcome to the River Church. So glad you are here with us this morning. Uh, if you're new, my name is Jason. I'm the location pastor here, and just just thrilled to be here and glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we have some of our men are up at our men's retreat up at New Life Camp, so they're coming back this afternoon. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And I, I want to warn you next week. I'm just going to warn you, and maybe I want to encourage you. Next week is Mother's Day. It's interesting. Father's Day, we have a lower attendance. Mother's Day, we have lots of attendance. Uh, but I think we have... 13 families right now signed up to dedicate their child. So uh, that is just an awesome thing. Uh, So what that means is we're going to have a lot of guests next week, and I look forward to it. So when you come in, if you have a seat next to you, you may want to slide down one because we're going to need all the room that we can get, which is an awesome problem to have, but just so looking forward to next week uh, as um, we gather together. Uh, This morning, we're in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter number two, and every uh, week uh, as we've been reading the book of Revelation, especially chapters two and three, we've been reading together. The Bible says in Revelation chapter one, blessed are those who read this passage, who read this prophecy out loud, and I'll say this over and over again, I love the blessing of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read together this passage. Uh, This is Caden. He's one of our young adults at the church. Wonderful. They don't like you as much as the lady last week, but they did pretty good. All right. Uh, My wife read last week, but um, just love uh, one of our young adults. He loves the Lord and watching him grow and just so, so wonderful. So I wanted him to lead us in this reading. So Revelation chapter number two, we're going to read verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the Lord of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual morality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. As we study this morning, Lord, may I just be used by you. 
May we hear what you have for us. Oh, God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take it with you. You may be seated. Awesome. All right, in the book of Revelation, we have been uh, the last couple weeks, and for the next couple weeks, in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus writes a specific letter to specific churches. They're called the seven churches. And as we read this, we see that Jesus is in the middle of the church. And every time Jesus writes uh, these little less letters, uh, they have the same rhythm. In the beginning of the letter, every time Jesus gives us or tells us an attribute, tells us who he is. And that specifically says to that church, they need to know who Jesus is. And then he tells them, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, doing, saying, going, what's going on. Every single time Jesus says, I I, I know. And many of these times there's this rhythm of encouragement. He encouraged them, said, look, I see this and I see this. I see what you're doing here. But then he points out something that needs to be corrected. And I just, I just stop there and go, man, I am so thankful for God that he loves me so much that he doesn't leave me where I'm at. He points in my life. He says, hey, there are things in your life. They need correction. I don't want you to stay where you're at. I'm so thankful God loves me. And he writes this to the church. He says, hey, there is this correction. There is this change. And he tells them of the consequence that is coming if they don't change. He tells them of the ruin. He tells them of what happens with sin. And then he tells them, he gives them directions on how to change. He doesn't just say, hey, that's not good. He says, hey, that's not good, but let me tell you what to do to make it right. And he gives them instruction. And then he gives them the wonderful blessing of following Jesus and what that truly looks like. The first church we studied was the church of Ephesus, where Ephesus was a church that Jesus says, hey, you have some good things going on, but you've forgotten your first love. Jesus is taking a back seat. You're putting things in front of Christ and he gave them specific instructions. And we know, right, in each one of these letters, he says, he who has ear, let him listen. It's for all of us. It is specifically for, hey, if you're the church, pay attention. And so Jesus says, you've forgotten your first love and gives them the instruction to, to remember Remember what it looked like when you fell in love with Christ. And then he said to repent of those ways and then do the things you first did. Last week we spoke of Smyrna. Smyrna was a little different. Smyrna was a poor, persecuted church. Smyrna was a church that it didn't look good from the outside. Jesus said material, you're poor. But he said, oh, but I know your heart. I know your strength. And you are rich. And Jesus said, because of who I am, I am the first and the last. I have conquered death. I give you strength to overcome, church. And he knew that they had the strength of the Lord. Well, this morning, I'm going to introduce you to the church of Pergama. And uh, this church, I just want to show you the house of Pergama. So I think my son is going to help. Is he, you coming? All right, hurry up. Come on. He helped me at the eight, 
And he said, do you want my help again? I said, yes. So I just saw him two seconds ago sprinting across the lobby going, oh, I forgot. You know, like, so he's running. Uh, so come on, hurry up. There you go. Good job. All right. They're clapping. They just like, they clap. I don't know. Thanks, buddy. I know. He's my mini B. Just looks just like me. I know. So. I want to introduce you to the house of Pergamum, and you guys know me with, with, with visuals that will help, and this is a little more cushiony, so I like it. Uh, but side question, just to get us started, middle school students out there, high school students, where are you at? Raise your hand, middle school, high school, all right, all right, Has, maybe even college, and maybe some of you can remember back. When mom told you to like, you know, sweep the kitchen or whatever, have you ever... And I know, like, come on, it's time to come clean. Have you ever lifted up the rug and swept stuff under the rug? Who in here goes, okay, yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't do that. There was the vents right there. I'd just sweep them in the vents and fall down, and then no one would know. All right, it's, it's good. Right, just to not have to deal with it. You'd tell your kid, hey, we've got people coming over, go clean your room, and they'd stuff everything into the corner, right? It wouldn't be dealing with it, it would be hiding it. And you all have that, don't look like there. Like, you got that drawer that everything goes into, right? Who knows what's in that drawer? Maybe some money's in there, who knows? But you have the drawer, and for some of you, that drawer has expanded into a closet, hasn't it? And for some of you, that closet has expanded the basement. Now, all, everything goes down there. Some of you have like three storage clubs. I get it. But things that we, we don't deal with in this church, in Pergamum, Jesus said, hey, there are some good things. I want to tell you the good things. But church, there are things that you need to deal with. There are things that you're doing this with. You go ahead. I mean, that's okay. It was just going to, no one will know. It's not going to mess up anything. It's, it's just, it's going to be fine. And Jesus goes, it's, it's not fine. It's, it's not okay. These things that you go, hey, no, no big deal. Jesus calls them out to be a big deal. And so here in the church, and Pergamum, what's interesting, if you, some of you like the geography of that. So we had Ephesus. Smyrna was about 40 miles north of that. And then you have Pergamum, which is about 65 miles north of that. And so you can think about the letter from John. He wrote that on the island of Patmos. That letter went to Ephesus. And then you can see it going up the next. It went up to Smyrna, and then it went to Pergamum. And Jesus says, I know. Again, verse 13, he says, I know where you dwell. And Jesus says this to them. You, you live in a bad neighborhood. Things, things aren't good there. Like, it's, it's, it's dangerous where you live. See, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. He goes on to say that where Satan dwells. So what does that mean, Satan's throne? Well, Satan's throne, there's some debate. What, what is it? And see, in Pergamum, there was cult worship. In Pergamum, there was the throne or the altar of Zeus is said to be 120 by 112 feet and is said to be some 18 feet tall and people would come and they would worship the false god. 
But there also was this shrine for the healing God. And I won't even try to pronounce this, the, God's, the false God's name. But this was the healing God. And people would come from all around to, to give worship to the healing God going, man, if, if, they'll, if this God will only heal me. And what is really interesting is this God was depicted as a snake. Shocker, huh? Some say the throne is just speaking to that Pergamum was the leading center of emperor worship. That Roman time, they would worship Caesar so people would come. So there are temples and there are altars. But what this is saying is this is a satanic stronghold. This is where Satan is worshipped. Jesus says, "I, I, I know. I know you live in a rough neighborhood. And then he goes on to tell them, he says, but I, but I see the good that's happening. He says this, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you. Jesus says, I see, I know it's still, I know the satanic worship. But even Antipas, who was martyred. So Antipas, you want me to tell you a lot about him? Well, I'm not going to, because it's the only place in the Bible we have him. Right here. But oh, what a testimony. Thousands of years, Antipas has said, what do we know about Antipas? I, I don't know. He died a faithful witness to Jesus. It's pretty amazing. Some 2,000 years later, we're going, yeah, that's Antipas. He, he was a faithful witness Man, if my life at the end, people will go, yep, that's a faithful witness. I'll take it. I'm in. Jesus in Revelation 1, it says this, that Jesus was the faithful witness of God. And so we have Antipas, the faithful witness of Christ. It's, a, it's just so beautiful. But we see that he was martyred because of his faith. But they stayed faithful. They, they trusted the Lord. They did not deny him. When we get to verse 14, Jesus tells them the thing they have to deal with. He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Jesus says, church, Balaam is in your church. Now, if you're a churchy, you know the word Balaam. You grew up in church like Balaam. Oh, yeah, Balaam. It's that crazy story in Numbers 22. Yes, it is. It's a crazy story in Numbers. Sorry, I'm tripping. This is off-centered. I have to tilt it. It's really driving me nuts. Okay, now I'm much better. It was driving me crazy. So, all right. What a weirdo. Um, But Balaam. What is Jesus doing here? Do I think there's somebody in the church named Balaam? No. I think Jesus is using this name to sound an alarm. Right? If I were to say in our culture, like, man, Hitler is among you, or right? Like you're acting like this, the alarm would sound right away. Right? We'd be like, whoa. So, what? So here he speaks to the church. He says, Balaam, you know, Balaam in the Old Testament, who hurt the Israelites, who caused a huge problem. He is sounding the alarm here. I believe Balaam is a prototype. It's, it, it's, 
It's telling us, the church, what it looks like. That someone who is a false teacher is in the church and leading them the wrong way. Well, what did Balaam do? If you look back, and we don't have time to study through the whole story, but Numbers 22, 23, 24. The Israelites were set free. And... The country of Moab, they were drawing near, and so the king began to get worried because the Israelites were strong and the Lord was leading them. So the king tried to figure out how do we stop them, and he went to a man named Balaam. The Bible tells us that, that Balaam, what he did is he set up a plan to seduce the Israelites. What he did is he said, man, if I can get them to marry into this culture, if I can get them to, to, to just kind of settle in and to, 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 you know, I know there's differences, but if I can just get them to kind of be okay with each other. And so the Israelite men were marrying uh, ladies of Moab and they began to worship, they, they began to reject the worship of the God of Israel and they began to worship the pagan God. And so here Jesus is saying, that's what happened there. The consequence was devastating. Now in the church, there's one who comes. He's tricking you. He's misleading you. What is he leading them then? See, Balaam led the Israelites into sexual immorality it says they, he, he t- brought them to food that was offered to idols. And you'd be like, you may wonder, what, what does that mean? What's, what's the problem there? What was happening was, many think that this food that was sacrificed was, there was a common practice, and especially in Pergamum, this would happen, a common practice of participating in a sacrificial meal. And they would bring people in and they would worship pagan gods And then they would indulge in sexual immorality with the temple priestesses, the cult prostitutes. There would be homosexual uh, perversion going on. All of this would be taking place at these satanic meals. And so Jesus is saying, you're being misled. You're tolerating things in your church that are hurting you. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter really uh, explains Balaam even more. He uses him to talk about in the church the deception that can so easily happen. 2 Peter 2, it says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. Here there was false teachers in the, in the church, and Jesus wasn't okay with it. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nickelodeons. Now, I know it's the Nicolaitans, but I just like calling them Nickelodeons. I can remember it better, right? But the Nickelodeons have been spoken of back in Ephesus. Now, you're not going to forget it. Mm -hmm. But back in Ephesus, Jesus said the church of Ephesus hated what they were doing, rejected them. And Jesus says, I hate it. So I think about this. I think... Well, they tried to come into the church of Ephesus and mislead them. But the church of Ephesus said, nope, 
This isn't going to be allowed in the church. This false teaching, you're trying to manipulate people and say, you know what, this sexual perversion, that's okay. And this one's okay. And, and doing this and then, you know, looking for the pleasures of the world. Nope, not okay. We're kicking you out. And I just kind of picture in the head, like, okay, 40 miles north was Smyrna. So they come up to Smyrna and go, well, who wants to be a part of that church? Poor, persecuted. They didn't know that they were rich inside and blessed by the Lord. So I could see them skipping by that church, and then they get to Pergamum. And they're in there, and they use church words, and they hang out with the church people. And Jesus said, this is something you must deal with, church. See, what happened was they were tolerating it. You ever do this? Well, I know other people are doing it, but I'm not. You look at the church and go, I'm not doing those things. Nope, wrong. I'm not a part of that. I, you know what? Jesus said, I'm healthy and I'm staying faithful and I'm doing good. I mean, I'm great. I know some over there, but I'm good. But Jesus said, hey, when you tolerate it, when you say, hey, this is, a, I, I, when you're not going to deal with it, when you're not going to speak up, it is going to erode the church. It is going to be poison in the church. And so the book of Revelation says, hey, church, you got to wake up to this poison. So where's the great threat? Is it from the world on the outside? Or is, from, or is it from what's on the inside? To hear the threat to the church wasn't what's going on out there. The threat to the church was what's going on in the inside here. That was the threat. So Jesus says, hey, you can't compromise. You can't just tolerate. You can't go, well, I'm going to do my thing. It says, if you're the church inside the church... Do you say something? My son um, is a golfer, and so this week he was just practicing. He went up to one of the golf courses, and they have a driving range, and then they have a little uh, putting green and chipping green. So he was there working, and quite a long ways uh, to the left of this putting green is hole number nine. I mean, it's a long ways over. So my son was chipping and putting, and the the practice balls on the green are yellow. And so he walked over, and kind of in the short, medium grass was a white ball. So he picked it up and thought, and he just kind of threw it, and it went from the kind of short grass into the longer grass. And a few minutes later, some guy came walking up to the green. Hey, did you see a ball come over here? Now, one, it was a terrible golf shot, right? Like, I don't think this guy's really worried about his score hitting it way over here. But my son had taken it and thrown it in the longer grass. And so Silas came home and said, Dad, he, he goes, did I see it? And I go, oh, yeah, it's right over here. Come look at the ball over here. And he pointed to the guy's ball, and he said, Dad, I felt better when he reached down and moved his ball. So I was like, okay, good. I'm, I'm off the hook. But in that moment, I think Silas is going, do, do I tell him? Do, do I tell him? Or I just move on and do my own thing? And here in the church, Jesus said, it's not just okay to tolerate sin in the church. It's not okay to just turn your head the other way and go, I'm fine, let's let it go. That we have to stand on his truth and speak 
his truth. A.W. Tozer said this, a new decalogue, which means a a new commandment has been adopted by the neo-Christians of today. Thou shalt not disagree. And a new beatitude has been set. Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable. It's a lie. Do I say something? Do we say something? And there is this lie out there, church, that people go, man, we just need to tell people about Christ's love. Let's just tell them that Christ loves them. Now, are we here at church to tell people about Christ's love? You betcha. Matter of fact, we just don't want to tell them about it. We want to be an example of it, right? We want to give as Christ called us to give and to sacrifice and to love this community and not just be a holy huddle as Christ's love, we want people to know it, and so we want to live it out. But in telling people about Christ's love, we have to give them Christ's truth. See, some people will say, and they'll, they'll try to go, well, I'm about Christ, but I'm just about the red letters in the Bible. You know the things that Jesus said, I'm just about that. So whenever they say that, go, hey, let's go to Revelation, because you're going to find some more red letters that Jesus says. And, and listen, it's all the red letters. This is all the words of Jesus to us, all of it. But if they want to argue, go, I want to go to the red letters, well, let's go to Revelation. When they say red letters, many times in the English Bible, they'll take red letters and say, these are the words that Jesus spoke. So I'm saying, this is all that Jesus spoke right here. This is the word of God. So in the red letters in Revelation chapter 2, in the very beginning when he spoke to Pergamum, what did he say? To the angel of the church in Pergamum, the words of him, Jesus, who has the sharp two-edged sword. See, the first two uh, churches that were the letters, each of those things about Jesus were positive notes. Each of those things, I'm the first and the last and I've conquered death. I hold the seven stars in my right hand, these positive things. But when it gets here, it says the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Well, what does that mean, pastor? Well, in Isaiah 11.4, and it speaks of the prophecy of Jesus, it says, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. When it speaks of the sword, it speaks that Jesus is going to judge. We get to Revelation 19 and we're gonna get there when Jesus comes back. And I know some of you are like, oh, I can't wait to get to 19. I'm just, gonna be, just be happy to be here right now, all right? This is good stuff. Revelation 19, 15, from his mouth, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Yes, Jesus is loving and caring, but he is loving and caring enough to correct us and to call us out of a life of sin because God, who is the rightful judge, will judge And when people start to go, well, let's just talk about Jesus' love because we don't want to offend somebody. We want to, we got to just, like Sunday, we got to set it up so it's just, they they, they feel, you know, comfort. And I do want you to feel a place like, man, they're kind and caring. 
But we must be a church to love enough to say, hey, there's also the truth of the Lord. Because if we don't speak of his truth, just as Pergamum, the church will be no more. Tolerating untruths, tolerating sin, and not calling that out will erode the church away. It's like, I love going to the beach, the ocean. You know, you walk right up to the ocean and, and the waves come in and out. And so, you know, you just stand there in the sand and the waves come in and then pull that sand from out on your feet. And if you stand there long enough, you got to move because it takes away your foundation. That's what will happen to the church. Can you see it in America, right? You see, because we're not standing truly on the truth of God. And the word is clear about this. We think, hey, if I can just be more friends with the world, I'm going to reach more people. No, you can care for the world, right? You can care for them and love them. But if your goal, I just, I got to be friends. Jesus speaks it clearly. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And what I'm saying here, this is not a sermon to go, hey, now you got to go out there and you see somebody out there at work and they're doing something bad. You go, sinner, you. That's not, what this, that's not the point. We're not here to call out the world. Why are they going to follow Jesus? They don't know him. But here in the church, when we have people we love and we care for, we got to stand on God's truth. Too many times we're sweeping stuff under the rug going, I don't, yeah, it's okay. They can do what they, maybe that's fine. And we go, no, if you care enough for your brother, go to him. Out of love and care and gentleness. You see how Jesus does it every time. Every time in these letters, you see his care going, I love you. See who I am. I love you and I see some good, but man, this going on, I care for you enough. It's going to hurt you. And you see the love of Christ. And then Christ tells of the promise of what it is to follow him. But church can't just tolerate sin and make like, that's no big deal. Now, for some of you, this is bringing back memories. You grew up in the Baptist church. You're like, okay, so is this, I'm, I'm calling out like movies and I got to go back to wearing dresses. And uh, no, the, listen, the Bible is clear on sin, right? There, there are some gray areas with things and, but, but the Bible, right, is so clear if you're wondering, dig into the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it will convict you. Dig into it. It is clear and it points it out. And here in Pergamon, what was the problem? There were those leading the church into sexual sin. It is the same thing today that's happening. Leading the church into sexual sin. And so now people will question, well, is this really a sexual sin? Is this really? And what are they doing? They're trying to get rid of God's word. So you stand on those things. Now, I know there's those hot topics, and we don't shy away from them, right? We know the Bible, it clearly talks about homosexuality as a sin. But can I tell you something? I, I think in our church, heterosexual sin is, is bigger than homosexual sin. I think it's a bigger problem. Now, are both a sin, and we do call out both of them? 
but both of them are hurting us. The pornography in this world, sir, it's killing you. It's destroying your marriage. What is it? Sexual sin. My heart breaks for kids and middle school kids and high school kids who are fed a bunch of garbage, who don't realize God created them. He's the maker of them. He knows them. They are wonderfully made. They don't have to try to go and be something else. God has made them. But the lies of this world, and then it starts to come out of false teachers and false churches. What is it? It's the same thing that was happening in this church. People were in the church not saying the truth about what God says. And there was sexual sin. Titus 2.12 says, training us believers to what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not soft, is it? It's not to go, oh, it's okay. It says renounce it. To reject sin. In Romans chapter 12, there's an amazing passage. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, you can turn there. We'll spend, we'll spend just a minute there. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, speak of not being conformed to this world. Is this, it speaks of what happens when we are truly committed to Christ. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And studying a man named Kent Hughes, just, man, he, he's pointed these out. It's like, man, this is such a great truth. Here, it talks about the commitment to Jesus. And at the end of verse 2, it says the effects of what happens when you commit to Jesus. It says, watch what happens as Jesus molds you and shapes you. There are these effects. What are they? That you have a discernment. That you know the will of God. That you grow in what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what it talks about in Romans 6 that says that we're raised to walk in the newness of life. When we're committed to Christ and following him, there will be this transformation and the effect of that. So we'll have the discernment of what truth is. Ken Hughes said, but right before that, there's the demands and if we reject the demands, we're going to struggle with those effects. The demands are what? Let's read it backwards. It says this. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Church, are we willing to do that? Is church more than just Sunday morning, but we want God to transform our mind. That his truth will change us. It molds us. It makes us think differently. That our flesh wants to be perverted and sinful. But man, when we start to fill our mind, our heart, Jesus transforms us. And we think differently because of his truth. That effect, we have to 
have our minds transformed. And it says, do not be conformed to this world. I think if some of us get honest, we, we just want to do what the world wants to do. The world is drawing you and sucking you in. And so you're struggling with the effects of Jesus transforming your mind and then to live out his will. But this commitment all comes back to verse 1. Because verse 1 explains the character of our commitment. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, worshiping God. See, to have the effects, we must follow the demands. But the only way we follow the demands is if we are truly committed to Jesus Christ. If the character of that demands is what? The Jesus, I want to worship you. If that is not our base, all the other things don't make sense. If the base isn't Christ, you love me, and you save me, and I commit my life to you. The men's retreat this weekend, I was up there on Friday, and Pastor Josh spoke, and he said, he said many times we call people to say, do you know the Lord? We can come to know the Lord. But it's so much more than just a knowledge of God. It is that, do you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? Because then he will transform you. Man, when you accept Christ and then go, I want to live a life to worship my Savior. Then you go, yeah, the world is a mess. And his truth transforms you to the effects where you start to live out his truth. See, in the church, you'll find many, it's called they're deconstructing their faith. Well, what happens? The reverse of Romans 12, 1 and 2. The deconstruction is to get to a place to go, you know what? I don't think I want to live out that way. I, I, I don't, what is good and perfect, I, I, I don't know if, I'm not quite with that. Well, Why? Because you back up one and go, because I don't want my mind to be transformed by the truth of Jesus. Because they'll start to go, I don't, I don't, maybe that's not real. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's false. Well, why? Why do they get there? The step before. Because the truth is, there is a love for the world. And they're trying to justify this love for the world. Well, why? Because the question is, has there ever been a true commitment to Jesus? Because if there's a true commitment, I'm not standing here saying we're perfect, but there is a transition of life that follows Jesus. I like what John MacArthur said. This is a tough statement, so just get ready. Sinning believers should be made to feel miserable in the fellowship and the worship of the church by being confronted powerfully with the word of God. I'm not sure many churches would agree with that. Because I think 
comfort in the church has become the God instead of conviction in serving him. Then he goes on to say this. He says, neither is the goal of the church to provide an environment where unbelievers feel comfortable. It is a place where they can hear the truth and be convicted of their sins so as to be saved. So some of you go, so you just throw down on people? No, no, you follow what the word says. Second Timothy says exactly how to do it. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So as we love people and care for people, what are we doing? We're sensitive to caring about them, right? You're the clapping congregation, right? And so I think about, you're like, when we say, hey, we got to call out sin, and I go, yeah, we do. I'm not clapping to go, yep, we got to call out your sin and your sin. I clap because I think I'm so thankful God called out my sin. I'm so thankful that it was pointed out to me that I was lost. I'm so thankful that I realized, man, I am poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt. And only because of Jesus am I saved. And now because of that, I have a newness of life. So church, I tell you to be careful. Careful who you listen to. Careful what sermons on the TV you pull up. What are flags when people on there won't talk about sin or they minimize sin? When they lead you to love the things the world loves. When they measure success the way the world measures success. Instead of pointing you to Jesus and worshiping him. And as Romans 12 says, to live a life, a living sacrifice to glorify So back in Revelation, Jesus says, church, you, you need to repent of this. Stop sweeping it under the rug because it's going to erode and poison the church. And Jesus says, will you repent? I want you to see the promise. He says, he who has ears to hear to the one who conquers, I will give the hidden manna. Now, I'm going to do this very quick, so don't think we're going to be here another 25 minutes. The hidden manna, there's great discussion. What does that mean? I think very simply, it takes you back to Jesus. John 6, 48 says it so clear. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna. I mean, the Israelites were fed by this bread in the wilderness that God gave. But it says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Here Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. To take of the hidden manna is to have eternal life. And then he says, I will give him a white stone. Again, whatever book you want to read, there's a different thought on the white stone, whether it's, it was a judicial thing of being innocent or there are many other things. I, I think it simply is pointing to the athlete 
who when they won the event, he would receive the medal, the white stone. Because Jesus earlier, he said, hey, you'll win a crown, not like the crown in these games, but a crown of glory that I will give you. And so the white stone here is the blessing from the Lord. And that white stone would give you entrance into the meal and give you a pass. And so Jesus is saying, because you've believed in me, you have eternity with me. And then he says, on that white stone is a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So please don't ask, what's that name? Because the Bible says, no one knows. Again, this is pointing to this new identity. Isaiah 62 says it like this, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. It's just speaking of, I believe, this new name the Lord gives you, the identity, the new identity you have in Christ. So this morning, as speak, as I preach a difficult sermon of Christ's love, but also of his judgment. See, we, we can't make light of sin because if we do, we make light of the cross. Because Christ died for my sins. And we make light of it. We make light of the cross and Jesus' perfect sacrifice. So maybe this morning, as so we've talked about the church sweeping things under the rug, maybe the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts. Maybe you're here and go, Pastor, I have things in my life I have been sweeping under the rug. Can I tell you that Christ says, if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. This isn't a sermon this morning to go, guilty, guilty, guilty. It's a sermon this morning to go, man, you can be free of that sin. Where you're at as we respond in song in a minute, confess your sin to Jesus. Tell him. And then can I tell you, go tell your friend about it too. Whether that's your spouse a good friend in the church to say, hey, I'm confessing the sin. Man, in the cross, by what Jesus did, we may be forgiven. So church, may we be a growing, godly church that loves the Lord, but loves his truth loves his truth enough to stand on it and to care for our brothers and sisters when they fall away. May we love them with Christ's love. Will you stand with me, please? Lord, thank you for this morning. Will God continue to grow us Lord, I pray that we'll be a church that doesn't just sweep things under the rug, but because we love you, we'll live in your truth. In Jesus' name.